Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Movie Geeks United. We're going to discuss the January 2022 Blu-ray selection in this episode. Uh, and of course I'm Jamie and we're here with Adam. Hello everybody. That time of the month. <laughs> that time of the month. <laughs> uh, so I guess we're getting ready to uh, get the Oscar nominations announced oh, yeah. coming right up. I, I so don't. I that. so don't care. I remember, as a younger man, <laughs> let me see mm-hmm. if I can play some nostalgic music in the background. Let's hear I it. Like really getting giddy and excited and all that kind of stuff. I don't care anymore. I mean, I'll read them once they come out, but nothing's going to get me out of bed at five thirty in the morning. Uh, <laughs> 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 Not that I'm on the East Coast, so it's like eight thirty, but. Yeah, they don't even have that ceremony anymore, do they? Uh, like they used to when they announced them. Because uh, I heard Leonard Malton uh, reminiscing about how things used to be different when they'd have this big event, and he would rush down there to be there at 5:30 to see it live. And he talked about how exciting it was, and it's just they don't even they don't even do that the way they used to. Um, he was talking about how things had changed and how I, th- how I sad think it they're. Was. I mean, it's going to be telecast and, and streamed, and they're too right two tv stars or i don't I, they announced who was announcing mm-hmm. last week i don't remember who but they still do a formal announcement live yeah it's not like they just released the thing to the press and they don't make any on-camera remarks about it yeah it's just not quite the same fanfare as it used to be i think there used to be like a, a it was an event sort of thing I, I believe where they had catered food and things like that i I don't know all. I was never there, so I can't say for sure. But I've heard from people who were that you know it was, it's just not what it used to be. Yeah. Well, so, uh, well I don't as, know. A, as a lot of things are. I don't know if they want to make a big to do about the the bribes they've taken this year. I'm not sure. <laughs> Here's who successfully what? bribed us for a nomination. <laughs> the contenders well, are. <laughs> Quite a few of them, probably, uh, and that's nothing new, as you and I both know. Um, yeah, I, I have to admit, I have to go on record as saying, and maybe I wonder if it's something wrong with me or if the movies have just changed. But uh, 2022 was the most, or rather, 2021, sorry, uh, was the most underwhelming movie year of my entire lifetime, and I must say that. I mean, I have struggled to find ten titles. Mm. that i even remotely liked not 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 loved i mean liked. so what's your number one since we aren't doing those shows anymore what's your number one for last year actually is it is a documentary the documentary from robert b wide who directs a lot of the curb your enthusiasm uh, thing uh, episodes and he did the uh, wonderful woody allen documentary a couple years about 10 years ago i guess and it's the documentary he did on his friendship with the author kurt vonnegut it's called Kurt Vonnegut Unstuck in Time, and I found that to be an incredibly moving portrait. Of, uh, whether you've read Vonnegut, whether you know anything about him or anything, it's just uh, this the filmmaker, Robert B. White, he became uh, familiar with Vonnegut's work in the English class. It was um, – uh, he it was assigned to him in, when he was in high school, and he was just immediately taken by his prose and just, you know, just blew him away. And he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get to know this guy. And so he started writing him letters. And, and next thing you know, they had a correspondence going. And then after he graduated college, he came up with his idea about, you know, we should do a documentary film on your life uh, because there's a lot of drama there, and a lot of interesting stories to tell. And, and at first he was kind of skittish about it, but he warmed up to the idea. And the movie is about their eventual uh, becoming basically best of friends before, you know, as life progressed, they became really close. And uh, there's all this footage that he shot over the years and uh, hoping that he would get this thing done. And it just never panned out uh, in Vonnegut's lifetime. And it's about the uh, the strange trip of this, uh, the strange journey, rather, of this documentary film on the life of Robert, of uh, Kurt Vonnegut and um, and his friendship with him. And it's just I thought it was incredibly moving. I just was so moved in so many spots in the movie. And it's just no, nobody's talking about it. Uh, usually the movies that I tend to love these days used to not be that way but these days nobody's heard of them or uh, just falling under under the radar but uh, 
Yeah, uh, love that movie. So, uh, and there are a couple other things that people are talking about. I like. I like the worst person in the world. That was pretty good. Not great, but but good enough to make a list. And um, so there are a, a, a few things. Uh, Parallel Mothers, the new Pedro Almodovar. That's that's pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed that. And so those are a couple things that have stayed with me. But most of the ones that people are talking about, I really disliked. Uh, Licorice Pizza, really the worst Paul Thomas Anderson movie that he's done, in my opinion. Um, so, uh, you know, there's so many that I just, the, um, so many that I just didn't didn't connect with me. Power of the Dog is another one I didn't I didn't get it. Uh, don't get the love for it. So I don't know. It's just me, I guess. But so I feel out of touch. Mm. <laughs> Well, my, I, you know, I didn't see everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, my favorite that I did see that was released last year was Summer of Soul, the Questlove oh, concert. Great. I just thought that was just such a sublime historical mm-hmm. document. When yeah. you when you open up with this rarely if never before seen performance of Stevie Wonder playing the drums mm-hmm. as, as he's performing, and that's that's just how you start the thing. I mean, it's just a, a revelation. Um, and I did see this idiotic criticism of it. I would have liked to have known more about, you know, how they set it up and the lighting and everything. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do have a little section on that, but you, it, 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 you know, you, it's this his, historical document, and it's it's rife with uh, with a, a, a lot of implications about uh, where our country was at and. And, and race relations and protest and all of that kind of stuff in a very deeply charged time. And you're wondering how they set up the lights? It's, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> I, I agree. That, and that is one. I'm, I'm with you on that. That's one of my uh, top ten. That would definitely make my top ten. So, yeah, sure. Sure, I get it. I'm, I'm with you. It was, as, it was as good as movies got. And they, did, they didn't, like I said, there, there wasn't really anything that blew me away. But as far as... As, as they were in 2021, that was as, about as good as you could. Uh, I saw I saw for. the two Ridley Scott movies just last week, um, mm. Last Duel and House of Gucci, and I like them both. I think Last Duel is a more uh, solid, accomplished movie, but mm-hmm. House of Gucci was fine for what it was. I didn't see House of Gucci. I did see uh, Last Duel, and it was fine. Uh, you know, didn't. didn't uh, you know, just somewhere in the middle for me, but uh, enjoyable enough as it was. So yeah, I I can't really say anything bad about it. Uh, again, just something that really didn't blow me away. I did like Last Night in Soho quite a bit, but I know that didn't do very well. But that was one that I did respond to, and um, you know, so what can I tell you? Being the Ricardos, I wasn't crazy about that. I I wasn't either. Uh, I really didn't like Don't Look Up. I um, Matrix was really bad. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Timmy Faye just exists for that great performance, and I really love the performance. I love Tick, Tick, Boom. Tick, Tick, Boom would be in my top five because I just really very much responded to that. It had a, it had a feeling of, um, you know, when I went used to go to arts high school, you mm-hmm. know, everybody's so excited about the the stage and and creating and performing. It had that infectious feel to it that I got on yeah. that, that vibe. I agree. It's it's a good movie about the creative process, and and in that way, I did enjoy it as well. So yeah, it was um, definitely better than the uh, critical favorites, uh, the ones that are probably poised to win, like Power of the Dog. I, I found it to be much more enjoyable than that. Well, let's say that. So, yep. I don't know what's uh, a, it's a, all the big th- the big thing is with is Kristen Stewart going to be nominated since she's been snubbed across so many, including the the Baftas. Which is the, mm-hmm. the big snub for someone playing Diana? Yeah, that's that's true. And I didn't think her performance was as good as uh, I expected it to be. She talks in this weird whisperish yeah. voice, which is typically a symptom of somebody who's not really been able to nail the accent. They're trying to cover it up, so it's this whispering type thing. I can't really articulate what I'm trying to get across, but it, this. It was it was a little weird to me. And, Does she and, talk and like the, that in real life? No, no, she doesn't. But she does uh, is as Diana in the movie. And then the movie ends with the most ludicrous scene that you could imagine. She literally drives off with her two boys 
and, and they're listening to All I Need is a Miracle by Mike and the Mechanics with the CD blasting in the car as they drive off after the, the big Christmas event that they've just been through or whatever. And it was so ludicrous. I, I just, it was laughable almost. Um, hmm. Just really, and you don't learn anything. There's no insight into her as a person. She's just moping around and sad and okay, you know, we've seen. So I, it didn't do anything for me at all. I found it to be a torturous experience. So, yeah, wow. that was, that's one that didn't didn't do it for me either, like so many others. But so you will, what not, do I you will not be nominating her this year. <laughs> no, I will not. But um, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Well, I guess we need to get to the discs. I need to stop yammering on okay. about all that. But um, anyway, yeah, this... Uh, so we'll start with the Kino stuff, actually. Uh, we'll just go ahead and knock all those out because there's always a lot of Kino titles to talk about, and January was no exception. We have, you know they've been upping the 4K game, and they've, been, uh, they've got a licensing agreement with MGM, and they're putting out a lot of their titles in 4K, and they're doing a bang-up job. It's amazing, these transfers and the, and the output. Uh, the Great Escape is their latest, or one one of the latest. Uh, Steve McQueen, of course, James Garner, and Richard Attenborough in this classic prison film. I don't know what else we need to say about it. It's uh, a great film. Um, you know, received a 1964 Academy Award nomination for Best Film Editing and Best Motion Picture Drama Golden Globe nomination. So, you know, it's a great cast here. Also, Charles Bronson and James Coburn and Donald Pleasance. In the cast, and uh, David McCallum, and there's a new audio commentary by Steve Mitchell and author Stephen J. Rubin, and there's archival commentary by the director John Sturges and actors James Garner, J James Coburn, Donald Pleasance, David McCallum, Judd Taylor, and many other crew members. Um, there's a lot of featurettes and all that stuff and, um, you know, documentaries, a lot of good stuff here. So if you're a fan of uh, The Great Escape, I would recommend getting this one. And the next one is another 4K release from Kino, Some Like It Hot, from Billy Wilder, of course. Again, another movie that really needs no introduction and nothing that I can say about it, except that it is a classic comedy that has stood the test of time, in my opinion, funnier funny as ever i should say and um you know this has a new audio commentary by joseph mcbride and then it has some other uh older features that have been archived over um audio commentary by paul diamond the son of ial diamond who was the uh co uh, the uh, partner in crime of billy wilder i guess you could say he wrote co-wrote most of his scripts and there's um also featurettes here with Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon, I guess, uh, would have to have been a while back since they've been gone a while. Yeah. And uh, so, so a few documentaries. So anyway, uh, we have the 4K Ultra HD upgrade of Some Like It Hot from Kino. Uh, Rich and Strange, which is an Alfred Hitchcock film that has yet to be released on Blu-ray until now. And this is one of his British thrillers from 1931, actually billed as a comedy and it stars Joan Barry and Percy Marmont and Henry Kendall. And we have Crime of the Century, what is this? which stars... What is Gene what per is his best all-out comedy? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. See, because I, I, I find that his comedy is most effective when it's embedded in the thrillers. I would agree, yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, don't, I don't... Psycho is very funny at times. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah, gallows humor for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I would tend to agree. When he attempted, on his few attempts at making out-and-out -out comedies, I don't think they, they were as successful as, as they were when he in, in, attempted to inject humor into the proceedings as they were. You're right. So I think that uh, I just watched uh, Stage Fright last night, which is a uh, – we'll go ahead and uh, talk about that one here right quick while we're on the subject of Hitchcock. That's a Warner Archive release, and uh, it came out in the month of January as well. It was one of his – uh, you know, not not highly as regarded as some of his other 50s output released in 1950, but I found it to be uh, pretty enjoyable. And there's some touches of humor there that totally work. And it uh, stars uh, Jane Wyman and Marlena Dietrich. As uh, it's a, basically um, Jane Wyman's trying to help her boyfriend uh, who's accused of murdering Marlena Dietrich's uh, husband, and he's been caught up in this, and she's trying to prove his innocence. And there's a twist at the end. Um, 
Hitchcock's wife adapted this, and the screenplay is by uh, Whitfield Cook. It's based on a novel, I believe. Oh, Whitfield also, Cook. Huh. Yeah. Also stars Alistair Sim, who later would play famously play, play Scrooge in one of the most well-regarded. That was that was what was most disappointing to me about the movie Hitchcock, with Hopkins and Helen Mirren, mm-hmm. is that they decided to vote, devote so much time to the idea that she might have been having an affair with Whitfield Cook. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I've Danny Houston played him. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that was that was kind of unnecessary. And there's a lot more if you've read the uh, the Stephen Rebello book, which I think is excellent about the making of Psycho. There's so much more interesting material in there that was left un, uh, unexplored that I think it missed the boat. I'm right there with you. That was uh, just probably the least interesting aspect of the whole production of Psycho. Rebello Rebello can't be, uh, you know, he's. I'm sure he's glad that a movie resulted finally because they were talking about it for a long, long time. But mm-hmm. he can't be satisfied with what the ultimate result was. I would think not. To tell you the truth, I would think not. As as I was not, I actually thought the girl was a much more effective film as far as uh, looking at Hitchcock behind the behind the scenes. The one that uh, you know was about his relationship with the. Yeah, I mean, it, it knew what it was about. Right, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. There's such detour in Hitchcock that's just un, uh, uninteresting to the main plot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I thought that the girl worked, it was, you know, about the making of Marnie and all that. Oh, well, the birds and Marnie, I guess, both. But uh, his, um, you know, his relationship with Tippi Hedren uh, behind the scenes there, I, I thought it was, you know, and I thought... Um, Oh, who, who's – I'm trying to think of the actor that played him in that movie. but uh, Toby Jones. Toby Jones, that's it. Yep, yep. Nope. thought he was uh, – Sienna Miller. Yeah, I thought he was more effective than uh, than uh, Hopkins was, actually. But anyway, um, so Crime of the Century, uh, starring Gene Hirschholt. Uh, this is from 1933. Yes, that's the same Gene Hirschholt that the award is – is uh, named for that you hear about the Gene Herschel um, Humanitarian Award. And this is a a uh, mystery drama from 1933. And it also stars Wynn Gibson, Francis D. And uh, that's another Kino release. Double Door, uh, also from 1934. It's a mystery drama as well, directed by King B. Door. And then we have, oh, we have China from 1943. And that's a a Western drama starring Loretta Young and Alan Ladd. We have Golden Earrings with Ray Milan and Marlena Dietrich. That's an adventure film from 1947. That has a new audio commentary by David Dale Val. All My Sons from 1948. That's Edward G. Robinson and Burt Lancaster. And that's a, a drama with a new commentary by Kat Ellinger and film historian Lee Gambin. Shake Hands with the Devil is a uh, James Cagney, stars James Cagney, Don Murray, and Dana Winter from 1957, 59, I'm sorry. And this has a uh, a new interview with Don Murray and uh, directed by Michael Anderson. Is he still, so he's still living, Don Murray? Yes, he is. Wow. Yeah. He's got to be up there, but he is. This is directed by Michael Anderson. The, uh, it's probably, is he, is he the last? No, he's he's not. I'm just thinking about the last vestiges of Marilyn Monroe's working career, people that worked with her. But I mean, there are people that n- knew her that are still living, like Jane, mm-hmm. Jane yeah. Fonda. And, but people that worked with her, it might be Don Murray is the last. Yeah, because he's in Bus Stop, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah, that's correct. That's a good point. Didn't think of that, but yeah, he's. He's probably the last person to have a direct connection in, for, in terms of working, having a working relationship with her. You're right. It's true. Did not think of that. Even the person that worked on her in the morgue is dead. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yes. They're all going. They're all a part of history. They sure are. So the Seventh Dawn from 1964 is a um, war adventure uh, war film directed by Lewis Gilbert. Starring William Holden and Susanna York and Capucine. And this doesn't have any extras except the trailer. A Gambit, starring Shirley MacLaine, Michael Caine from 1966 and directed by Ronald Neem. It's a caper film with a uh, new commentary by, well, it's commentary, there's commentary by the director and then a new commentary by 
film historian Howard S. Berger, Sergio Mims, and Nathaniel Thompson. And we have Journey to Shiloh from 1968, starring James Conn, Harrison Ford, and Jan Michael Vincent and Michael Sarazen, directed by William Hale. Oh, that's a good trivia question. Yeah. What movie did Harrison Ford co-star with Jan Michael Vincent? <laughs> True. I might. Uh, I hate I didn't get a chance to. Uh, I didn't. I didn't request this when I kind of wish I had. Now with that cast, I failed to mention. I failed to notice that they were all there. Uh, the Pink Jungle, starring James Garner and jo- James Garner and George Kennedy, from 1968, and directed by Delbert Mann. And that uh, no extras except a trailer on that. Impasse is a uh, actually stars Burt Reynolds, uh, pre-deliverance stardom from 1969, and Anne Francis and Jeff Corey. It's an adventure film. Just a trailer on that one. Uh, Breaking In, directed by mm. Bill Forsyth from 1989. Another Another Burt Reynolds, that's right. Written by John Sayles. Yeah. It's one of yeah, the he few got films... good notices for that. Yeah, he did. And it's one of the few films I think John Sayles was uh, writing and not directing around that time. Because he was directing most of his own material, so it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, Harry Carey Jr. also in that, and Albert Salmi. So anyway, um, Inherit the Wind... From 1999, actually. That, the George C. Scott. Yeah, right. this may have been his last film. I think it was. And Jack, Jack Lemmon. And it's a that's a that's a really good solid um, you know re-ima- reworking or reimagining of the. Um, the Didn't thriller. Freed Kinder? No, no, no. That was Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, that was released this month. Actually, we we'll get to that on the next show. But uh, that I'd never seen that, and 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 have just recently uh, got around to it. So I'll report on that later. But. And Tony Danza in a William Friedkin film. <laughs> <laughs> I let me That's, just say, oh, Daniel Petrie directed the Inherit the Women Jersey Scott. He uh, did. Yeah. So uh, good, I'll good. always remember an interview, an onset interview with Jersey Scott when he was shooting Inherit the Wind, and they asked him why he agreed to do it, and it gives you a sense of the most innocuous answer sounding threatening coming from Jersey Scott. He was like, the text was excellent <laughs> and it was like his head was going to explode just on that one question oh yeah very intense guy no doubt yeah that's a i i enjoyed it i really did it's i mean you can't go wrong with that material he's right it is uh it is terrific no matter who's doing it and uh that you know it's it's good it holds up as well as the original does so the original 19 was a 1960 film, I believe, with Spencer Tracy. Yeah. I have so been wanting to see Missing again. Yeah, that's good. I can't find it anywhere. It's it's nowhere. Well, I'll have to rectify that. For it's you. never been on the Criterion Channel. It's it's not on any streaming service. It's just odd. Yeah. It is kind of it's kind of tough. It was, and it's uh, a Criterion re- release. They released it yeah, years it years ago. Yeah, I don't know why they've not uh, re- why it's not available streaming. It's a uh, it's a universal movie, so I, I they are release rather. So I don't know what it should be readily available, but yeah, it should I, be uh, universal. It should be universal. That's right. It should be everywhere. Um, true. Well, the card player is now. We all know the Kino. Uh, well, I, I don't know. We all know, but I have mentioned it before that they also distribute the Scorpion releasing product and a couple of their uh, Kino. Uh, Scorpion collaborations, I guess you would say, or the card player from night from 2004, directed by Dario Argento, the Mafu Cage from 1978, starring Lee Grant, Carol Kane, Will Gear, Grandpa Walton, of course, and James Olson. That's uh, that's actually pretty well regarded, but I had never seen that. Always wanted to. Uh, and then we have the Naked Ape from 1973, starring Victoria Principal Johnny Crawford and John Hillerman. And that's um, a comedy. Um, Maria's Lovers from 1984, starring Nastasia Kinski and Robert Mitchum and Keith Carradine and John Savage and John Goodman. And that uh, is the Kino releases for the month. Wow, that's just Kino. Wow. Yeah, that's just one studio. Boy, they they really, every month is just uh, pretty amazing what they um, release in the span of a of a month. So. Yeah, so we'll um, so we'll go to Criterion right quick. We'll go ahead and uh, 
talk about what they released. Uh, the Celebration, which was a 1998 film. It's one of the Dogma 95 movement films that uh, made a splash around that time. Anyway, it um, has a new um, digital 2K restoration approved by the director, Thomas Vinterberg, and a new uh, 2005 commentary by the director and two early short films by him as well, and a documentary about the Dogma uh, 95 movement, documentaries, uh, all that stuff. So anyway, um, we have uh, The Celebration, Time, which is a film that uh, got a lot of critical raves in 2020. It's a documentary film, uh, has been released on disc for the first time with a director-approved transfer, new audio commentary with the director Garrett Bradley, new interview with the subjects of the film, Sybil Fox and Robert Richardson, and no relation to the cinematographer, of course. New conversation between Bradley and critic and author Hilton Owls, and Alone, a short documentary that serves as, as the basis for the film, so anyway, we have that. Dick Johnson is Dead is another film that was um, highly regarded in 2020. Never got to see that. Never got around to that. I should see I, that. I should too. Yeah, it got good notices and I, I heard good things. Uh, but it it has been released on disc as well uh, on Blu-ray uh, from Criterion. Uh, there's a new 2K digital master pr- uh, approved by the director, a new commentary with the director, a new conversation among with the director and fellow producers Katie Shivegni and Marilyn Ness. New interviews with the sound designer and trailer and all that stuff. So uh, anyway, and so it's nice that these films that are being made for the streaming services specifically like Netflix and Amazon are getting some distribution on hard disk formats because, um, you know, if they decide to pull them off the services, I don't know where they go. But uh, there's no. Yeah, but at the same time, don't you think don't you feel like Criterion is diluting its brand by by issuing stuff that came out last week? Well, that is true. Yeah, there is something to be said for that. I uh, I would agree. So, yeah, there are a lot of classic films that have yet to see the light of day in HD. And so, yeah, you you do have a point. It's film history. It's not short attention span, uh, you know, history. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. Well, they, uh, they did, on the other hand, release the piano in 4K, so they did do that. I'm sure that looks beautiful. Yeah, it supposedly does, and it's all the, uh, basically, I don't think there's anything new except for the transfer. All the previous extras have been retained. Good, um, Incl- including Harvey Keitel's penis. Oh, of course. Can't 4K? wait to see that in 4K. Oh, absolutely. The detail on that, let me tell you. So, <laughs> never before has it been seen. That way. Uh, A Hard Day's Night has been issued also in 4K by Criterion. Um, and again, all of the previous extras have been retained, except for the uh, new 4K transfer. That's the only new thing here, but it is a beauty to behold. And there are oh, all kinds of documentaries, several documentaries here and featurettes and, uh, you know, um, just all kinds of stuff about the, the making of the film and interviews with the uh, people behind the film and just a lot of lot of extras so if you didn't pick up the pick up the previous blu-ray of a hard day's night well now you can uh, you have reason to uh, go out and, and make the effort to get it now with this 4k uh, edition did you get around to watching all of get back i did i saw the whole thing yes i did i mean it's uh it is tedious i'm not gonna lie about it i mean there's no getting around it but you know, cre- uh, the creative process is tedious, and that was the criticism everybody had. They said, "Oh, it's so tedious. It's J- Peter Jackson, and he's doing what he, you know, he doesn't know how to. Never met a scene he could shorten, and yada yada yada." But you know, I, I <laughs> the ten different ten different endings on that get back was just make a decision already. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. Yeah, there were a lot of. Uh, no, I, I was making a joke about what people said about Return of the King or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, having yeah, so yeah. many endings. I uh, I I loved it. I mean, uh, um, the uh, in many ways it's similar to Summer of Soul in that it, it captures a moment in time and it does it, uh, and it's it's an important work of restoration. Oh, but, absolutely. But uh, uh, I mean, obviously Summer of Soul is more focused. But uh, I mean, I binged all of Get Back on Thanksgiving weekend when it came out, and I was. Uh, very uh, taken with it, and and that too. that running time allow too allows you to just kind of feel like you're hanging out with them, you know. Yeah, 
It's true. And it was, it was also therapeutic to me because uh, that was the week that my that was my dad's last week on the planet. And he passed away the Monday after Thanksgiving. And so I was dealing with all that. And at night I would come in and uh, watch a little bit of that to just kind of, you know, get my mind in a, a better place. And, um, it, you know, back to my love of music and all of that. So, yeah, that was it, it held its purpose in that way for me, too. It'll be indelibly linked to that very dark week in my life um, from now on. So, um, Well, what's really so, great too is McCartney has a ton of stuff out there just in recent times. Mm-hmm. The, the thing on Hulu with he, he and Rick Rubin is really great. I don't know. It's, I think it's called one, two, three or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, I saw that. I saw the whole thing. It's yeah. a musical masterclass. It's him teaching music essentially. Yeah, it is. And the f- amazing segment where he says all of, all of music is just four chords and he he starts playing the four chords on the piano. He says anybody can do this. <laughs> and this <laughs> using those four chords, he like sings a couple of snippets of his most famous com- compositions. And it's like yeah, anybody can do that. Sure. I mean, he's <laughs> he's beyond genius uh, musically. He really is. Yeah, some people just they have it. They have it. Um they're exposed to music. I think being exposed to music at an early age does help too. I think if you are surrounded by it like Back to the uh, case with my dad, he was exposed to it as you know, as a as a little boy, and it just was kind of it was there. It was always there. He just could play by ear, and a lot of classically trained musicians that knew him have said that they even they even though they could play well and could do a lot of things, they were always impressed by my dad's ability to just hear something once or twice and be able to play it exactly. He could mimic it exactly, perfectly. And so it's just a, it's a, you know, it's a thing. Well, it's also probably the story of every rock star. It's also a desire to impress girls. Well, that too. You can't (laughs) underestimate (laughs) the motivating power throughout rock history. Yeah. If only somebody had told me how important it was to learn to play a musical instrument. Yeah. You'd be on easy street, man. I know. My dad, you know, he gave me lessons, but I just was discouraged because I couldn't play like he could after about a week or two. And so he said, I said, well, I'm just not ready. I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't think I'm being led to do this. And he said, OK, and closed the piano lid and there was never talked about again. Instead of saying, hey, whoa, whoa, slow down, son. <laughs> you know, think about this before you make this momentous decision. But he never said that he wasn't an encouraging sort. He was like, OK, whatever. <laughs> And then I tried again in 2013 to pick it up in my middle age, and I was going, I was doing well. The teacher said, "You're doing well. This is good. You're gonna go. We're gonna do it. We're gonna put you in the uh, re- recital uh, come springtime." And then a month before the recital, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor and died promptly thereafter. So. Oh, if only she hadn't promised that, <laughs> she'd still be with That's us. That's what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. God so, was like, "Don't make false promises." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I was going I was going at a good clip. I was picking it back up after about 25 years or whatever, 35 years. And it's like, oh, we're, this is going well. And and then uh, that happened. And so I just have not been able to get back into the rhythms of of, of doing it, of trying it a third time. Maybe I will. I don't know. But anyway, I digress again. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so we'll do a couple of the Cohen film collection, uh, Cohen media group, I should say. They have. They released a lot of uh, British film titles, and one is Expresso Bongo, a film by Val Guest, which actually was um, one of the few films that Cliff Richard made, where he was one of the stars of the film. It's basically about a, uh, yeah, the singer Cliff Richard. He was huge in Britain, you know, but only had a handful of hits here. It's amazing, isn't it? His how much he was regarded in Britain and how many records he sold there, but here it's just like a handful of. Didn't he do the? Uh... Didn't he have a hit with Olivia Newton-John? He did. He had uh, Suddenly from Xanadu, and he had Devil Woman from 76, which was on uh, Elton John's record Rock, Rocket Records label, which was a top 10 hit. And then he had, I think, a trio of top 10 hits in the early 80s, uh, A Little in Love and Dreamin' and what was the other one? We Don't Talk Anymore. That was the other one. Other than that, that was about it for him. So, and I think he might have had one back in the 60s. But anyway, he's the uh, – it's basically about Lawrence Harvey who was uh, looking for a quick, quick buck, and he finds this uh, amateur singer and bongo player played by Cliff Richard in a 
Soho espresso bar and uses a little bit of luck and tons of chutzpah to transform the, transform the kid into a highly regarded international singing sensation. Uh, there's no extras on this, but this has uh, been long hard to find. This is the full and original 1959 theatrical version, Espresso Bongo. And so that's from Cohen Media Group. And another one of their film, uh, releases is a double feature of uh, British crime thrillers, Dancing with Crime, starring Richard Attenborough from, uh, oh, this is from 1947. And then we have The Green Cockatoo, which is directed by William Cameron Menzies, who was the uh, production, was he uh Designed the production on Gone with the Wind, I believe. I think he was. He worked on Gone with the Wind. I, I can't remember what capacity, but anyway, he became a director later, and he. Uh, I think he. Directed Man, we should have. Sh- you know, we should have gone to the Sony studio. When I've we, been there. Okay. I have been there. When we did our tours, because we did the tour of Warner Brothers, and why not? Because you think the history of Warner Brothers, but. Uh-huh. Uh Um, but so much of that was uh, oh, that's right. Warner Brothers tour was with the kids. When yeah, I when we I went it, separate yeah. from you, I got this too confused. But we went through Warner Brothers, and it, there really wasn't. I mean, you think of the hundred years of Hollywood history at Warner Brothers, and there wasn't really much representation of that in their tour. But then I saw somebody going on a Sony tour, and they were in the soundstage where Judy Garland recorded "Somewhere Over the Rainbow," and I was like, "That's the kind of Hollywood history that I'd want to see on a tour." Oh not, yeah, not where they shoot Friends. <laughs> well it's true it's true it's amazing because uh, i did go to the sony studios uh when i took my kids in 2013 and they were you know they were pretty small well my daughter was a teenager but my son was about oh i think he was 11 or something maybe 12 anyway they were old enough to appreciate it is what i'm getting at and so they knew a little bit about the history and it's amazing when you go through there because they actually have the original manhole covers from when it was mgm and they say mgm on them so you, when you actually walk on the lot, you actually see the original manhole covers from when it was MGM, and they and their the actual sound stages where Singing in the Rain was shot, and as you said, Wizard of Oz, those are all still there, and uh, it's uh, it is pretty amazing uh, the history. Hallowed ground, there. as long you know, as long as they uh, you know maintain it. Yeah, it's don't true. Don't tear it down, and yeah, um, it's pretty pretty much intact uh, the way it was and even some later movies in the 70s were shot on that same lot yeah uh like uh, the 76 king kong was filmed there uh, wow. as far as i know so yeah the some of the some of the uh the scenes you know that take place in the jungle or whatever were filmed on soundstage there so anyway there's a there's a lot of rich history there well when we were when we were on warner brothers they were shooting mank they were shooting an exterior of mank mm-hmm. So they had a bunch of old cars on a like a it looked like a city hall or middle of the city street, and then right next to that was the Friends Fountain. Mm. Uh, and then they then we were driving in the tram and there was a soundstage off to the side and there was a sign out from the soundstage, Joe Cohen's uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, fil- filming, and I was like, oh, Tragedy of Macbeth is filming in there. And the tram guy said, I can neither confirm or deny. And I said, well, dipshit, it's written on the sign. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making a guess here. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to, uh, if you don't want people guessing, don't put the, or don't want people talking about it, don't don't advertise it. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's true. And apparently there's like a storefront. It's, it's totally nondescript. But there's a storefront mm-hmm. yeah. where something in Casablanca was shot. Which I think is probably one of the two last remaining locations from that film, and the other is just a stretch of concrete at the airport, or the Burbank Airport, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. But that's about as classic as it got there. And then we we were shown a street where Annie was shot. Oh, not yeah. Annie wasn't shot like with a gun. Where they filmed, <laughs> where they filmed the movie Annie. <laughs> Now, they'll tell me it was the uh, 2014 version or 2013, whatever oh, it was. You know, that's a good point. I don't uh, I don't know. Because people forget there's a 1982 yeah, version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It, it, but it looked like a tenement street, you know. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, uh, yeah, I, I might kind of sort of be interested in the uh, if the original was filmed there, because that was directed by John Huston. That was a pretty big deal back in the day, but I, but I don't we know But we spent the most time in Ellen's studio. Yeah. <laughs> We were, uh, oh yeah, we 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 were. Uh, it was a sitcom filming there. That's kind of where they took us to. But I'm trying to. Oh, what was the show? Uh, gosh, 
Oh gosh, I'm I'm drawing a blank. It's it's one of the big sitcoms that everybody talks about, and I don't watch them, so I yeah. can't. I'm just drawing a blank. But anyway, um, not Young Sheldon, but the other one. Uh, what? Big Bang. Big Bang Theory. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They were. Uh, they took us to the soundstage where they shot that, and they weren't shooting. They were on a summer break. But uh, yeah, I was like, okay. Well, I wish I could get excited about this as some of these other people evidently do. But uh, anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm like you. This is not exactly the history I had in mind, but okay. Anyway, yep. Maybe I'm just an old stick in the mud, but anyway. Well, it was good for the kids. We're trying to find, you know, tours are great when you're supervising a group of 60 kids and you Mm -hmm. want to keep them occupied for a couple hours. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, you got to do something. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, this is is true. So anyway, this Cohen Media release of these two crime thrillers, British crime thrillers, Dancing with Crime and the Green Cockatoo. There's no extras on this, but... uh, these have been kind of hard to find, and uh, I said, uh, as I said, Richard Attenborough, who later became a famous director himself, uh, is the started out as an actor, right? Yeah, Dancing with Crime is one of his first outings as an actor. Yes. There is a method to my segues here. <laughs> so Attenborough started as an actor, became a famous director, then went back to acting occasionally, including for Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park, and that you know, outs- outside of he and Truffaut. You know, uh, Spielberg's worked with some great directors as actors. So, what do you think of Spielberg casting David Lynch in his latest movie? Well, I think that's very interesting. I did see that, and uh, that did kind of make my jaw drop there for a moment. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think he can do it. He's made hasn't he's made some cameo appearances in his own. Well, I don't, I don't doubt, I don't doubt ability. It's just an odd. It's just an oddity of like yeah, it is. something it is. you'd never expect to see. Yeah. I'm sure they're both smart people, so they both have respect for one another, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. So the theory going around, what's odd is that he's done shooting. He's supposed to be in post now because he finished shooting mm. a while ago. Um, I think he finished it last year. But he's in post. So uh, what is he playing so if he's done shooting, you think, is he a narrator or is he doing voiceover for the thing? Right, sure. Yeah. And then there's this th- theory that that David Lynch is going to play John Ford. Yeah. Be- because Spielberg met John Ford at the age of 15 and it was some kind mm-hmm. of seminal experience for him. And the movie tells the story of Spielberg as a kid, like a thinly disguised, like, right, so, like yes. so many of his movies. And I'm sure that, you know, at that age, he probably offered uh, John Ford a bag of Reese's Pieces. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, uh, so and, and looking at Lynch, you could you know put an eye patch on him or something. You, you can imagine that he's play, he can play John Ford. Absolutely, yeah. But that if means they're going back and great. filming. So that w- if they're f- actually filming something, was that like a last minute thought that Spielberg had? This movie could use this moment. I don't know. Yeah. It's curious. It really is. It really is. Yeah, that's uh. Very interesting, but yeah, that when I saw that, I was I was uh, delighted actually to see that, and, and will be very curious now about what uh, what this film is all about. So yeah, you're right. He's always done the thinly disguised thing about his childhood, but this one's pretty uh, pretty on the nose from what I'm reading anyway. So it's pretty pretty direct what he's attempting. Well, anyway, um, another of the Cohen Media Group releases would be this French thriller, which got uh, certified fresh reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, it says. And I didn't get a chance to see it, only the animals. They're billing it as a French Fargo. And it's a uh, about two depressed farmers, an unfaithful wife, a lovelorn waitress, and an African con artist drawn together in a mystery surrounding the disappearance of the glamorous Evelyn Ducatte. Um So anyway... Uh, again, I have not gotten a chance to see this, but the reviews were good for only the animals, and Cohen Media Group has released it on Blu-ray. There are no extras on this, but just wanted to mention that. And uh, the Warner Archive, their other release of the month, we just talked about Stage Fright a while ago, Song of the Thin Man was the sixth and final entry in the Thin Man series. They've released the other five entries over the last, I guess, two years. They've been putting them out a little bit here, uh, one here, one there, and they finally got them all released, and 
Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to do a box set. But uh, transfer is uh, beautiful as always with the Warner Archive product. Uh, really looks as good as ever. Uh, special features here: Passing Parade, a uh, really it's a short, a really important person. Classic cartoon slap happy lion. So uh, in the trailer, uh, a lot of people say Song of the Thin Man is the least of the series, and it probably is the original director of the first three films, or maybe the first four films, W.S. Van Dyke, died after the, the fourth film was released, I believe it was. So they have, you know, they continued the series, but had to get new creative talent. Uh, and it's very clear that William Powell and Myrna Loy, you know, they play a sleuthing married couple, who, their kid and their dog tag along while they solve these murder mysteries. And uh, it's pretty obvious that they're getting up in age. They'd started making these in 1934, and the first this one was made in 1947, so about 13 years had elapsed, and they were definitely in middle age by the time this one came along. But it's uh, more so than some of the earlier entries that people speak more highly of. And it was, uh, you know, it's it's breezy, 86 minutes, and uh, got some good support by Keenan Wynn. And Dean Stockwell plays their son here. Gloria Graham has a small part. So I, I enjoyed it. Song of the Thin Man. If you're a fan of the Thin Man films, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed with that. And then we have The Toolbox Murders from Blue Underground has been issued in 4K. And uh, I think most of the well there are a few new extras here a new audio commentary with film historians troy howarth and Dan, nathaniel thompson a new com uh same thing on the uh, blu-ray disc and the 4k disc sorry there's a new featurette uh drill sergeant an interview with the director a um, couple more interviews one with the star wesley Ure, uh and an interview with the actress kelly nichols i think who went on to become a porn star after she made an appearance in this film and uh, David DelVal remembers Cameron Mitchell on a featurette here. Uh, looks great. This is a great-looking transfer. I'm just not a fan of the film. If you're a fan of the Toolbox Murders, I'm sure you'll you'll enjoy it. The first 30 minutes of it are vaguely interesting, and then it becomes this uh, detective-type story where they're trying to solve the, the killings and figure out who's doing it. And it's, it's about a handyman, obviously, at an apartment complex who goes around murdering people that he feels are, are, are sinners. Uh, using his tools of the trade, and Cameron Mitchell is that guy. Pamela Ferdin, who was the uh, child actress who was in a lot of stuff in the 60s and 70s, she she plays uh, one of the victims in the film. And so yeah, I think this was her last film before she quit acting, basically, and decided to go into nursing and doing something besides acting, because I think her mother pushed her into it. But anyway, she's a familiar face on many things in the 60s and 70s, and she was the voice of Fern in the 1972 film Charlotte's Web, and she's also in The Beguiled with uh, with Clint Eastwood. She's the one that that poisons him with the mushrooms, the little girl. Mm. Uh, so she's in this as well, but she's not a little girl in the dual box. I never considered that. Yep. I never considered that the um, the Phantom Thread might have pulled something from The Beguiled. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. That is true. Good Interesting. point. Yep. Yep, the mushrooms. Of course, she dis- I think the little isn't doesn't little the little girl discover the mushrooms? And then they all just kind of agree that this is what they should do, and so they, I think that's how it works. It's yeah. been a while since I've seen the beguiled, but yeah, yeah it's a wacky movie. I love it. I love yeah. it though. It's great. It's so much better than that remake. That remake was so lifeless. Right. And they, uh, yeah, they they eliminated the uh, the black character from the film, which made the original so much more interesting. I think. And uh, yeah, that just I don't I, that was inexplicable to me. It's like wow, this is so wrongheaded. So <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not a big fan of Sofia Coppola. So full disclosure, I'm, uh, in her films, uh, not even Lost in Translation, which I know a lot of people are. So you know, what do I know? But anyway, so uh, <laughs> just get that out on the table. Well, the director of Drive My Car. And I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce this name, but Drive My Car, you know, is one of the most uh, well-reviewed films of 2021. I saw it. It's fine, but it doesn't need to be two hours and 55 minutes. That I can definitely God Damn, you're you. Debbie Downer today. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's well, I, I sound like it. I know. It's not a terrible movie. I'm not, I'm not trying to knock it, but it's just a little overrated and certainly overlong. Uh, but anyway, the director of that film released a film prior to that called Will of Fortune and Fantasy, which has been issued by Film Movement. 
And it has one of his boneless short films called The Chicken, which I'd never seen, and an interview with the director as well. And um, it's about an unexpected love triangle, a failed seduction, and a chance encounter with the past. Um, Like I said, it's uh, got pretty good reviews. So Will of Fortune and Fantasy from the director of Drive My Car, his previous film. So anyway, uh, Juice... Uh, we, uh, I did the interview with Ernest Dickerson in case anybody missed it a while back, the, uh, Spike Lee's cinematographer and excellent cinematographer, I, I might add. And, uh, he was promoting the 4k reissue, the 30th anniversary of juice, his directorial debut. And so, uh, it has been issued. It looks great. I did get a chance to rewatch this. It's, uh, I think it's pretty solid. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, and there are several featurettes that were released on the previous edition. I don't think there's any anything new here. There's commentary by Ernest Dickerson and a, a couple of featurettes, as I said. And so anyway, and the 4K upgrade. So Juice has been issued by Paramount. And so we have that. And then we have, um, oh, let's see what else we have. There's quite a few other ones here. I don't want to don't want to miss any of the other things that um, I think we've covered all the criteria, the criterion and the Kino we've covered already, but um, you know, let's move on down the list. Halloween Kills. Uh, we'll, we'll go with some of the newer titles. Halloween Kills has been issued. Uh, that one got terrible reviews. I didn't see it, so I can't really pass judgment on it. But anyway, Universal has issued that. Warner Brothers has issued Dune, the uh, uh, Denis Villeneuve remake, uh, reimagining whatever uh, from 2021. That's also been issued in 4K. Spencer, we talked about that earlier. Uh, That has been issued on Blu-ray from Lionsgate, I think, was the the release on, was the uh, company releasing that one. And then we have the well-reviewed film Mass, which was about the appearance in uh, their reaction to the aftermath of a shooting uh, from 2021. And let's see a couple other things. Last uh, night in Soho, we just spoke of that, and that has made its way to 4K, courtesy of Universal. I did enjoy that. It was one of my more pleasurable experiences in a theater last year. Uh, Lionsgate also is part of their Vestron series line, the collector series line. Candyman 3, Day of the Dead from 1993 has been issued. Uh, Liar Liar has been issued in a 25th anniversary edition from Shop Factory with a few new extras and a new transfer Jim Carrey film that uh, was pretty successful at the time of its release, I would say. And uh, we have Titan from 2021, a film that was also well reviewed that I another one yet that I did not like as well. <laughs> I think it did. I think it did. Again, uh, I don't under, I don't get it, but. That's me. <laughs> I tried. I really did. I mean, this is a, uh, you know, apparently this one of the one of the sub, subplots in the film is that the main character has been impregnated by a car and she's secreting oil. And when that started happening, it kind of lost me. I was like, okay, I think I'm done here. Uh, so anyway, it just tries so hard to be shocking that you feel like they're just really bending over backwards to just really get people talking, tongues wagging, so to speak. It just didn't do it for me. But I'll tell you one movie that was kind of a surprise for me, and that was an Arrow release from 1977, the final film from Mario Bava, which I'd never seen, called Shock. It was released in America as Beyond the Door 2, although it has nothing to do with the original Beyond the Door from 1974. And it's basically about a woman and her husband, and they move into uh, the house that was uh, uh, previous, uh, previously owned by members of the woman's family, and she's then uh, haunted by the specter of her husband who committed suicide and you find out uh, why as the movie goes on and uh, the little boy is possessed her little boy is possessed by the spirit of this man who committed suicide his father and uh, there's some it's a little slow going at first but it builds and builds and the the, uh, last half hour of the movie uh, has some pretty good um, jump shocks uh, jump scares Uh, so I I would kind of uh, recommend that one shock I'd always wanted to see it I remember the uh, trailers playing pretty often on our um, television set. Our local TV stations would play it, but they the trailers they ran for were for Beyond the Door 2, 
And boy, did it look pretty intriguing to me as a nine-year-old. But uh, and it, uh, I was glad it did not disappoint. So anyway, there was that. Two other releases from Arrow are uh, Red Angel and Sleep. These are newer films from the company as well. And then, um, oh, just moving right down the line, it's, uh, I think we're getting towards the end, actually. We've covered these releases quicker than I had anticipated. Lamb from 2021, I think, is a Lionsgate release. That's an, another one. And then we have uh, the 2005 Bad News Bears remake with... <laughs> uh, Billy Bob, that's right. Yeah, I never saw that, but did not hear good things. Richard Linklater directing, of course. Uh, Morvern Caller from 2002. That has been issued by, uh, I think it's, uh, I want to say Vinegar Syndrome. Not 100% sure about that, but anyway, that has been issued. Uh, the Brain Eaters is another Scream Factory release from 1958. And uh, so Clock Stoppers is another Paramount release from 2002. And um, let's see, there's a few others here. Dreamer from 2005, that's another Paramount release. Uh, Wild Things from 1998 has been reissued by Sony uh, on Blu-ray. And let's see, it looks like for some reason Hitch from 2005 has been reissued. Not really sure what that's about. I think maybe it gone out of print, not sure. But anyway, it has been reissued there. And... Um, I think, let's see, I think that about covers it, actually, for the month of January, believe it or not. Uh, so there was, uh, we were able to wrap it up pretty quickly there, quicker than I thought. But there were uh, a few good titles there. I did enjoy Inherit the Wind, I must admit that, from the uh, Kino release. That uh, was certainly something to to recommend. And Shock, uh, of course, from Arrow. And uh, Last Night in Soho, if you want something of a, a newer film, um, probably would uh, enjoy that. So uh, Whispers in the Dark. Oh, that's one other one I missed uh, from 1990. Uh, Alan Alda as a psycho. Yes. And, uh, and The Temp from 1993. That's a, that's a Screen Factory release. That's another one. I missed those. The Sorry Temp, about. the Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah, that's the one. Oh. Yeah, with a few new features on that. So, uh, and that—that that is, yeah, well, that is the month that was in Blu-ray for January twenty. Isn't Timothy Hutton in the Temp? Isn't he the husband or the? I think so the yeah. Boss? What happened to Timothy Hutton? Good question. Like, why didn't he? I guess he peaked too early, winning that winning that Oscar like his first time out. That is a danger sometimes. It really is. Yeah, he, he certainly did, which, uh, by the way, uh, Ordinary People is getting a Blu-ray release finally. Uh, that has, believe it or not, has never been issued on in high def, and so Paramount's doing that here in the month, next month or two. So that's a good thing. Wow. Um, so, yeah, we'll finally get to see it. But, yeah, he uh, his career was kind of kind of suffered. I remember he tried to he tried a couple of things that just didn't take off. Iceman, I remember that Fred Chapezy film about the caveman mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. gets you know thawed out with Lindsey Krauss. I kind of enjoyed that movie. It had a few interesting moments. Not perfect, but uh, he was good in it. And uh, just didn't. I remember just didn't go anywhere. The movie just didn't just completely failed. And then there was the other. What was the dark half? The George Romero Stephen right. King. I mean, thing. he worked. He worked, but in terms of like yeah, really worked, yeah. really great opportunities, I just. That he would be a major actor. It just I didn't, did too. Yeah, such promise in the beginning, and yeah, it's uh, and uh, you know, of course, his dad carved a, a pretty busy career too. Uh, you know, before him, so um, it turns up in a, a lot of things that I seem to stumble upon. I'll see his dad in something, and I'll say, oh wow, that's he was in that. <laughs> I think it was the old 1973 television film. Uh, um, uh, don't be afraid of the dark. His dad's in that, and I'd forgotten forgotten that. And then where the boys are from 1960 with Connie Francis. He's uh, and uh, Paula Prentice and uh, the the recently deceased Yvette Mimiu. Uh, they're all in in that together. So uh, yeah, he so uh, you know it was the talent certainly ran in the family. But yeah, I wonder too. I'm, I'm with you on that. I wonder why it just never happened. And that is a that is a danger. That's a real danger. I think there can be a backlash sometimes when that sort of thing happens. 
Yeah, especially because everyone, yeah. I mean, he was of the generation. He was the first to break of his generation. Mm-hmm. If you think yeah. about the, gener- the, 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 the Sean Penns and the whoever else is in his, just watch Taps. You'll find out who was in his generation. Oh, yeah, right. right. Uh, and, and he was the first to break and, and the, the, the one whose height stopped there. That's true. That is very, very true. And uh, it, just, it just makes you wonder, uh, you know, what, what could have been, as they say. Hmm. It does make you wonder. Well, that's my roundabout way of announcing that we're starting a 10-episode podcast series. What happened to you, Timothy Hutton? We'll, <laughs> we'll be interviewing his co-stars from over the years. And <laughs> and the directors of the films whose roles he turned down. <laughs> An exclusive interview with his shrink uh, during, during the, the lean years. 